Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, bringer of fun and doom. Oh, no, doom. What are we talking about today? Uh, just a celestial Madonna kind of day. Yeah, voguing all over the cosmos. <laughs> Not that kind of Madonna, Ryan. Very close, though. Uh, the Celestial Madonna is a super weird, super interesting storyline that keeps on coming back to the Marvel Universe because, one, it essentially took Mantis, uh, who we all know and love, from absolute obscurity to becoming essentially a cosmic god. And two, when you say that there's a celestial Madonna, that means that there is a woman who is preordained to be the birth mother of a space god. And that means, you know, we're going to get a celestial messiah from that celestial Madonna. And uh, maybe that aforementioned space god is going to, like, save the universe or something. I don't know. That seems to be what messiahs are about. I would hope so. Yeah. Also, you know, what do messiahs do? They lead people. They sacrifice themselves. They have divine power, maybe. But we're still waiting to see because that whole storyline, which has been running for decades, has still not truly paid off yet. Uh, so this entire series is essentially like a head of gobbler gun. That uh, What the hell does that mean, Lorraine? Ugh, Ryan, in the theater world, Hedda Gobbler has a gun on her mantle. And that essentially means at some point that gun is going to come into play. In this story. Isn't that Chekhov? Mm, this is Ibsen. But yeah, also like Chekhov. Chekhov also has a play with a gun. So essentially think of this as um, we have placed a bunch of preordained things to happen into the Marvel Universe. And eventually those are going to have to pay off. And we're just waiting to see what that is. But let me explain the storyline so you can truly see what um, gun on the mantle I'm talking about. All right, Lorraine, walk us through sort of where the Celestial Madonna storyline starts and, and like what fans should be reading if they want to jump in with us. I got you, Ryan. So this all kicks off with the first appearance of Mantis in Avengers number 112. And then it really continues into that series and gets deep into the Celestial Madonna storyline around 123 through 125 and 129 through 135. And then it branches off into giant size Avengers 2 through 4. It has a little happy moment in Fantastic Four number 325. And then there is the short series. Uh, it's about eight issues. Avengers Celestial Quest. It all kind of starts to really come together as a storyline. So essentially... A Celestial Madonna is, spoiler alert, the story of Mantis. Yes, that Mantis. In the comics, Mantis is quite a lot different from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so if that is your only experience of Mantis, hold on to your hats because it's about to get really interesting for you. Um, but I think part of why you see her in the MCU is because she's so interesting mm -hmm. and so unique in the comics and she's had so many cool stories it was like she's the perfect character to bring into the mcu oh absolutely yeah no and her powers are really really different and distinct and interesting and i love her played by palm clementieff in the marvel cinematic universe she's fabulous 
But in the Marvel Comics universe, we are talking about Avengers number 112 in 1973 by Steve Englehart and Don Heck. Mantis is first seen as this sort of mysterious figure with an off-page lover who is trying to work her way into the Avengers. Hawkeye, of course, is always getting like haughty and annoyed and leaving the Avengers and being like, I don't have to take this just because I don't have powers and like pouting and leaving. So she's like, ah, finally, that jerk is gone. This could be our moment to get up in those Avengers. So Mantis and her off-page lover, who ends up being a gentleman named The Swordsman, has their machinations on getting into the Avengers. That is their end goal. Um, And I love Swordsman. Swordsman is kind of like a French Errol Flynn type. He's kind of reminds me of Zelipe. Well, a little bit. He also, like, he's the one who taught Hawkeye a, a bunch of things. He's a great fighter. He's got really low self-esteem at times yeah. and so you start to like feel for him and and his storyline through all this is sort of like the b or c plot but he's fascinating to watch as well yeah he's like somebody who has a lot of bravado to cover a lot of insecurity and then as we go into avengers 123 through 125 and as i mentioned before 120 through 35 we start to learn through these issues that Mantis is this master martial artist. She can take down anyone. She has complete control of her body. And she has moved to Saigon. She got a job working at a bar where she met swordsmen. And then they basically make it their goal to go join the Avengers. They've been sharing kind of a relationship, but ultimately she realizes that she doesn't really have feelings for him, but she does have feelings for the Vision, who is currently in a serious relationship with Wanda. So when Mantis and Swordsman join the Avengers, they immediately bring a ton of drama because suddenly she's like breaking up with her boyfriend. She's got sights on Vision. Wanda is not loving that. Uh, So there is a lot of sort of interesting dynamic tension happening immediately. Yeah, it's weird because at the time... Mantis is such a huge part of the Avengers book, but I don't think she's officially made an Avenger through all this. She's there. It's like she's she's kicking all their asses. She's helping out in all these different ways, but she's not fully a part of things. But she's throwing all these, you know, wrenches into the works with Vision and Wanda. And it's it's super, super dramatic. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because she is so powerful. They're sort of like, we have to let you sort of suit a join. I don't know if they make... uh... I can't remember if they make her a full-fledged or if it's just sort of like, great, you can fight alongside us. But anyway, it's really awesome because she becomes this like real ace in the hole kind of character for the Avengers when they're having these problems that they can't solve and they're getting their butts beat all over the place. Suddenly Mantis is like, I can use my sort of psychic empathy to get inside this villain's head and destroy them if I need to or work with them if I need to, you know, in a way that I think we think is really unique to a character like Squirrel Girl in recent iterations, but is really started here with Mantis, who's like getting inside people's heads. But once we get into the giant sized Avenger series issues uh, two through four, we really get this huge flashback into Mantis's whole story because she doesn't remember it anymore. So uh, it has to be relayed to her. So we learned that Mantis was born in Vietnam. She was the daughter of a German soldier and a Vietnamese local. And her mother's brother was a crime lord who was aptly named Cruel. And he didn't really approve of his sister 
going and hooking up with some foreign dude that he didn't know. And so he sent his goons after him. Her mother and father go on the run. Ten months later, Mantis is born. You know, shortly after she's born, uh, the goons catch up with the family, set an explosion. It kills her mother. Her father is blinded and Mantis survives. So her father roams around, finds this temple full of guys called the Priest of Pama. And it seems like, wow, how lucky they can take in my daughter. He goes off and becomes Libra in the Zodiac gang, which is a whole other story that we're not going to worry about today. We could spend a whole nother big talk on that. But those priests, psych, turns out they are not priests. Well, they're kind of priests. They're actually Cree, as in those alien guys that we know are related to Carol Danvers and Hala and, you know, Ronan the Executioner, all those guys. Well, they are Cree pacifists who have left Hala and, um, you know, they were at odds with the Kotati, which are a tree people. They are literally just trees that are psychic. That is what they are. They, they are not humanoid. They're not like Groot. They are trees that think thoughts that you think with them. My favorite part of the Kotati, especially when we first see them in these Avengers issues, is their weird faces. Because it's like this big bushy face. They have humanoid-esque bodies. Like they are just like these walking tree people with limbs and everything. But their faces have like this just weird hole where the mouth kind of well, would be. But they don't talk. Yeah, they they have kind of like, you know, when you look at a tree and it looks like a person, it's like that as opposed to like being a humanoid figure like Groot. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. that weird thing when you're like walking through the forest and you're like, these trees seem alive. The Kotati are those trees. They are alive. They are getting in your mind. So what happened is these priests of Pama, they left Hala with the Kotati and they started this pacifist little commune down on Earth trying to just be separate and be safe and be peaceful. And so they raised Mantis as their own. She became a master martial artist. We know that Kree are incredible warriors. So Mantis learned all of their skills. That's how she is able to control every single aspect of her body, which I think is a really kind of cool superpower in a way, because she truly has full, like if she's like, I would like to do this kind of splits or hit this person in this exact way, she can do it because she has 100% control of her body. And being raised next to the Kotati and near their roots, specifically and being raised next to them has given her empathy in a to a psychic level so she can empathetically feel what others are going through she can get in the minds of villains or the people next to her she has like a true psychic ability from being alongside them her whole life so she grew up she's like i'm gonna go off into saigon they were like, you can't know about us and our cool little faction. So we're going to wipe your memory and send you on to Saigon to go live your grown up life. And she's like, sweet aces bye. But she goes to Saigon where she goes to that bar. She meets the swordsman. She's like, maybe we should be Avengers. I don't know. What do you think? And he's like, oui, oui, bonjour, for sure. And that's where where we get to with everything that's going on with them. But... What happens in this giant size Avenger storyline is a sort of Scarlet Witch and the Vision and Mantis and the Swordsman story that kind of is like alternating back and forth. They're woven together the whole time. And Kang the Conqueror 
comes down, time-traveling Kang, pops in, and he looks at Mantis and he goes, OMG, you're the Celestial Madonna. And it's like, okay. what? What? This part is bonkers. I uh, I love Kang. First things first, Kang is a time traveler. He's from a bajillion years in the future. He's got this great technology. He literally was just a dude who got bored because everything was too easy. He was too spoiled, too perfect. So he's like, I'm going to go to the past and just be the best, control people, take over. I'm going to conquer. But Kang like evolves over time to become different people. At one point he's Kang and then he's like, ah, I'm done with this. I'm going to go to ancient Egypt and become a, a ruler there. I'm not going to wear a shirt. I'm not going to wear pants, <laughs> maybe a little loincloth. I'm going to have a cool hat and then everything's going to be great. I'm going to do that for a while. Then he gets bored of that again. And he's like older, wiser. He becomes a dude named Amortis. Who's like, ah, I see the folly of my youth. I am now a good time-traveling conqueror man. And so in this storyline, you see at one point, I think three or four Kangs, Amortis, and Ramatut, who is his ancient Egyptian personality. And they're they're like arguing with each other. They're capturing each other. This, this part was just like, let's just go for broke. Well, and this is really where the rocket ship just says, we're going to space because it gets really <laughs> wild from here. So Kang recognizes Mantis as the Celestial Madonna and everybody's like, yo, what's that? What's that about? But he's a future man, right? So he knows what's going to happen in the future. His other selves, his other Kangs are like, not so fast, buddy, not a great idea. And ultimately, you know, they're all sort of attacking each other. Swordsman in an effort to protect Mantis ends up giving his life to protect her, which is terrible because they've just broken up and she's like, not that interested in you, kind of interested in this robot man who's taken. So <laughs> it's a really tragic storyline watching this guy sort of die to save the woman who doesn't love him. Yeah, it, that that whole scene is, is really well done. It's pretty sad and it's... The whole Kang thing, though, was like the whole time I was rereading it, sticking in my craw. I'm like, you're such a creep, Kang. You're coming <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm going to find the best woman in the world. And then she's going to be my bride. And we're going to like, he's, he's so lascivious and gross about it all. I hated it, which is what you want. He's the villain. Right. I mean, and it also it makes sense for him because if somebody is preordained to be the celestial Madonna, that means you will be the father potentially of the celestial Messiah, right? Because that's the sort of thing about a Madonna is it's the foretold Messiah coming. And this is interesting too, because it bounces back and forth with Avengers because Avengers, the regular series is running in tandem with giant size Avengers. So Mantis in Avengers 135 we learned that she wasn't the only Celestial Madonna in the running. It's a competition show, baby. It's reality. <laughs> um, there's another woman who is up to be the Celestial Madonna who has a very similar backstory and is somebody very interesting and surprising. It's Heather Douglas, daughter of Arthur Douglas, a.k.a. Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, in his human life before he was reanimated to become Drax the Destroyer and had a real thing for Thanos and wanted to super stabby-stabby him. Yeah, the, the cool part here is once you start looking at this, which you're going to explain right now, is the parallels that we see in Moondragon and Mantis's lives. 
Yeah. So Thanos' father, the mentor, came and took Heather to Titan, you know, that place that the mentor turned into a nice habitable space that then Thanos grew up on and murdered everybody at. But that's where she was trained. And she was specifically trained to be the next Celestial Madonna. She knew that she was working toward that. And she studied with the Shaolorn monks on that moon. And she became known as Moon Dragon. So yes, that Moon Dragon, shiny bald head, deepest of green Vs, rocking that space swimsuit look. (laughs) (laughs) She also has psychic powers. She also has super martial arts powers. Like, I guess I just forgot about all this stuff. I loved putting this all back together. Yeah, and... Where Mantis has had a more worldly life, Moondragon has been super austere, super focused. Because she knew she was the Celestial Madonna, potentially, she has dedicated her entire life to focus and study. And she didn't have the opportunity, like Mantis did, to go out into the world and experience a bit more. So that's ultimately what comes down to the choosing of the Celestial Madonna. Yeah, the the whole choosing of the Celestial Madonna is it's it's, like you said it's this like reality show bit but it's also like oh you're so cool you're so cool but you're like not quite as cool sorry and so now you're not gonna be like a space god um (laughs) and then she's just like oh but that's also like the saddest story to me because moon dragon knew she was up to be the celestial madonna she worked her entire life and then they were like you know what not you You're too good. You're too good. Truly, that's what happens. So finally, Moondragon and Mantis are united. Uh, Thanos goes and shows up on Earth. Moondragon comes to fight him. Mantis is there. They all end up being with the priests of Pama at that temple with the Koktati. And everything is finally revealed to them. So very conveniently, after the death of Swordsman, he needs to be buried. So they bury him in the garden of the priests of Pama next to the psychic roots of the Kotati. So when the Kotati need to speak to all of the Avengers, especially to Mantis and Moondragon, what happens is it takes on a psychic embodiment of the swordsman. So where is the swordsman is usually like a white guy wearing a purple outfit. He is now all green. He has kind of light green skin, a dark green costume, but he still looks like the swordsman because it's a familiar form to everyone they're talking to. And just a tree talking into your brain seems weirder. I like to think of him as a vegetable zombie. Yeah, I think that's right. With a psychic tree brain. This story is so wild. It's so wild. It's very 70s. It's very groovy. So just like ride the ride with us. Yeah. And there's a lot of talking in this. Like you have to remember the comics of the time, very heavy on exposition, on discussion, on a lot of that stuff. So we definitely want you to read these books. But remember, they're a little bit different if you're like a current comic book reader. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are tons of flashbacks, but also... They're so rich and dense with stuff. If you really want to know the storylines that will influence those characters for all of comics history, these are them. Yeah, for sure. So what what happens next? So the Kotati elder in the body of the swordsman in his new green look essentially comes and explains what's happening (laughs) and says, I need to choose between Moondragon and Mantis. You are both sort of perfect specimens. You were the perfect human women to be paired with a Kotati elder and bring forth the celestial messiah to be a sort of perfect combination between the Kotati and the human race. 
And they ultimately decide that Mantis is the right perfect human being because ultimately Heather, aka Moondragon, has gone off to Titan and spent her entire life uh, in this austere way planning to be a celestial Madonna. She hasn't had a true human experience, whereas Mantis, her memory was wiped. She went off to Saigon. She felt jealousy. She felt passion. She felt pain. She felt joy. She ultimately had a more emotional and therefore more human experience. Not everything about her was so squeaky clean, and they decided that that was ultimately much more human. So they choose Mantis. Mantis is like, am I supposed to marry a tree right now? Which is, I think, what we're all thinking. And uh, they're like, listen, put your head close to this Kotati tree and all will be revealed to you, essentially. She does it. She's like, we're in love. We're getting married. And then we have a double wedding between Wanda and Vision and the Kotati swordsman and Mantis. Uh, Like, I want to reiterate, she literally puts her head to the tree and is like, I get it now. This is perfect. Yes, I'm, I am going to get into this marriage. Let's do this. It is wild. We also didn't even talk about the part where they go through like the history of the Marvel universe where Vision learns his history. And so like he, throughout oh, yeah. this whole thing, he gets this whole like, oh, he becomes like a more whole person. He becomes really comfortable with himself. The whole uh, Scarlet Witch uh, side of things has her own story on this. Like this mm-hmm. part, we're focusing a lot on on Mantis because that's the Celestial Madonna aspect of it. But if you're a Scarlet Witch fan or you're a Vision fan, this also has tons of stuff for you. Yeah, I mean, they deeply go into the origins and powers of all four of these characters really so anyways, essentially, big wedding issue, everybody's married, joyous times, and then Mantis is like, time for me to go to space and make a baby with a tree. They like, zip, fly off into space, like, bye. Literally, they're like, off we go to make a tree baby. And I love it. I mean, this story is just so wild. So that really takes us forward. Uh, we're going to bounce back and forth a little bit. Uh, between Fantastic Four and Avengers Celestial Quest. But this is where that story comes a little bit more into fruition, where we finally get to see the Celestial Messiah and how all of that has been going while Mantis has been off in space. You know, also there are some other things that happen for Mantis during this time. She goes off and hangs out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. She's doing some of her own space business until we get up to the series, which is around 2001. So we learn a whole bunch of flashbacks. It's Flashback City. We learn what Mantis has been up to. So her and the Kotati swordsman had a child. They had a son. They separated. She took her son down to Earth and uh, decided to, you know, raise him single mom style. And she names him after the greatest tree on Earth in her mind, which is the mighty Sequoia. She calls him Koi for short or Q. But as he starts to grow up, she realizes that Earth can be very cruel and very dangerous for people who are different. And she worries, since there's no one of his species there, that is he getting raised in a sort of full way. And so she ultimately decides that she is going to take her son back to the Kotati and allow them to finish raising him. But now that she's got like a new lease on life, she goes out and she's touring the cosmos. Uh, For a while, she meets up with the Silver Surfer. That actually happens 
earlier in comics, we see that in Fantastic Four number 325, where uh, Mantis and Silver Surfer are like in love for a hot moment. And uh, Kang again is like, hey, baby, what you doing? You want to be my Celestial Madonna? And she's like, no, thank you. Silver Surfer uh, helps her protect herself and her boy Koi, who is still just a little sapling at this point. Yeah, uh Avengers, the, the the Fantastic Four issue, that's like 1989. So it that takes place then. And like, yeah, she has like just gaps where we don't see a ton of stuff. But it's, yeah, get into this next part because this is wild. I mean, and this is very in line with the original Celestial Madonna storyline because it is wild. It is bonkers. So this is, again, in Avengers Celestial Quest, going back into flashback land. So what happened was when she was off living her best life, hanging out with Silver Surfer, doing other things, hanging out in space, it turns out that the elders of the universe were trying to destroy Galactus with a huge explosion. Mantis just happened to be too close to Galactus and was broken up into five shards. She became five different mantises that were different components of her personality, freak, mother, woman, adept, and avenger. They were strewn across the universe and then a magical, mystical sort of doppelganger of Thanos. You guys, just go with me here, because again, everything is bonkers. This isn't Thanos proper. This is Thanos C, who is a mystical doppelganger. Um, he comes to destroy all of the mantises. He ends up killing four of them, meaning that all five of them eventually unite into one complete mantis. And then he gets information about where her son is. And he's like, great, thanks. That's what I needed. Because the Avengers pop up and are like, we're here to help. And he's like, I don't need this fight. I just want your kid. So he goes off to kill Koi, her little Koi boy, who is now living with the Kotati off in space. So Mantis and the Avengers go on a quest to stop Thanos, who's on a quest to kill the Celestial Messiah. So... Something really interesting happens during this time. As Mantis hooks up with the Avengers, she also starts hooking up with Vision, who's now single. Him and Wanda have broken up. Mantis is single now. So they're just like, hey, what's up? You want to revisit this? And they're like smooching. But also they both have been in these weird relationships. Like they both had children and then something happened in obviously very different situations. But like... There's so much drama and trauma that they've been through in these years. It's kind of sweet in some ways. Yeah. And it, I mean, because their relationships have sort of strangely been mirror images, they have like a lot of stuff in common that's very touching. So Mantis and Avengers, they finally make it to a planet called Tamal, where the Kotati are now living. Um, and let me tell you, we finally meet Koi. He's 18 years old now, and he is a punk-ass teenager. He's got an attitude. He has swagger. He's like, uh, I'm the Messiah. Whatever, mom. You're not my real mom. You left me. I don't care about you. You're a jerk. And he's over it. He's just a, like a sassy, sassy teenager who's like, you're not my real dad. <laughs> Get out of my room. <laughs> he's a jerk. And he's really bitter that he doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere because you know, he's the only Kotati human hybrid that exists in the universe. So he feels super isolated, super alone. He feels like his mom has left him and abandoned him, even though, you know, she was trying to do what she felt was best and it would be best for him to be protected by the Kotati. So meanwhile, Thanos is off put putting around the universe, also looking for Koi. And he's got his like Sezi lizard pirate lady who is his helper in finding Koi. Her name is Raptra. And 
Raptra quickly catches on to the fact that Thanos is going to probably kill her. You know, right now he's in a quest to offer up as many bodies to death, his lady love, as he possibly can. So Raptra's like, you know what? Not today, Thanos. She goes, she captures Koi and then uses him as collateral and says, listen, if you give me immunity, if you promise that you won't kill me, I will deliver you the Celestial Messiah. But meanwhile, there's like some vibes happening between this lizard lady and this tree boy. And they're like, whatever, lizard girl. And he's like, whatever, tree boy. And they're like hardcore flirting. And next thing you know, these two young aliens are just mush in face. There's so much hormones yeah. being thrown around. They're young. They're like on the run. They are just ready for a good time. Can't blame yeah. them. Now that Koi has been abducted from the planet, seemingly by Thanos and his henchwoman, the Kotati are not happy with the Avengers. They were supposed to protect him. They did not. They turn on him. They're wrapping their vines around the Avengers and they're like, we gotta go. So the Avengers bounce from Tamal and they go off after Koi trying to protect him. And there's this really cool moment because Mantis is essentially like a celestial being. She's not really a human or a Kotati or anything anymore. She's just a being of the universe. Her and Vision, being a robot dude, they just like hop out of the spaceship and they are floating through space, holding hands on a mission to go find Koi. And the end just gets extremely complicated because this whole storyline is extremely complicated. So just hold on to your hats, save your questions for the end because I'm gonna come at you fast and furious and we're gonna see what we can figure out from this. So. The Avengers, Raptra and Koi and Mantis and Vision, they all end up on Thanos' ship and they're going to duke it out, except for this thing called the Rot ends up coming for his ship. And it's essentially a nothingless void and Death, in a real twist, ends up speaking, because you know Death is usually silent, ends up speaking and explaining that the Rot is the child of Thanos and Death, which they created when Thanos died briefly. It created this child between the two of them in their union, and it has become a nothingless void that's going to eat the ship and all of them. Koi says, this is the moment to sacrifice myself. I'm the Messiah, and that is what Messiahs do. They self-sacrifice. So he flies into the rot, except for the rot loves it, absorbs some of the energy, feels stronger. He's like, well, that's not going to fix it. Didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt him. And finally, Death says, know what, Thanosy? I need to drag you into the rot that somehow like cures the rot or makes it go away. Mantis and Vision and everybody go off in their separate directions from here. Um, Mantis and Vision ultimately can't be together. They don't feel like they're sort of meant to be. Their lives are going in different directions and they separate. It is very sad because they kind of are like OTP for this entire series. Then we have Koi and Raptra who need to go off into the universe and they need to heal it. They see that there is this sort of pain that they need to go and fix all of the things that have been going wrong. So they go off, Koi, his space lizard, pirate, alien girlfriend, go off to heal the universe. And that's where that series wraps up. So <laughs> that was a lot, you guys. And I'm really proud of you for sticking with how bonkers this is. So as you can see, Koi hasn't had his true messiah moment yet. You know, that's what is promised when you hear that someone's a messiah that he's going to need to make a great sacrifice, probably. He's still just starting out. If we're looking at other messianic tales, this would be sort of his rebellious years before he is 
accepted the weight of what he must do for his people. And ultimately, you know, we're going to see Koi and Empire, the new series that's happening. But we're going to see what that means with his reappearance there, because we're still waiting to find out what Hedda Gobbler's gun is and who is Ibsen. that that part was more confusing to me than the entirety of the celestial messiah saga wow okay well if you're a theater person you know you're welcome and if you're not i am very sorry lorraine that was terrific i do understand it better of course you can read the entire celestial messiah saga Um, all those issues are on marvel unlimited there's a a big hunkin collection out there if you want to go and uh, find if your local comic shop has that Um, i did want to point out one alternate universe storyline because throughout this year we've been talking about the marvel omniverse and finding different stories that uh, tie into things i found one that really made sense here it's earth 900651 and in this one mantis raises her son who is named sprout on earth this is from marvel fanfare number 51 that's from like 1990 and it's by steve Englehart, who wrote all those original issues back in the day art by john buscema and jack abel um so in this story it's uh mantis and her child come back to earth to live a normal life where do you live a normal life connecticut of course so she takes the name get this mandy celestine mandy celestine i love it so much she um gives the kid a name arthur raymond celestine that's what he's known to as humans but she has given him his real name of sprout not sequoia or koi uh, but sprout in this reality this story is actually mostly a silver surfer story but it has surfer connecting with mantis and sprout in some really nice and sweet touching ways like there's a lot of stuff about the kotati about their powers about their connections to plant life and about silver surfer's sadness because like silver boy is always sad that's part of his thing he's a lonely space boy yeah the story has mantis and sprout helping silver surfer battle the mighty mangog which is really cool uh sprout at one point in the story, he's got um, a full tree body, but a human face. Uh, this issue is on Marvel Unlimited. I definitely say read all the stuff that Lorraine talked about, the all those Avengers issues, Giant Size, Avengers, the Fantastic Four issue, Celestial Quest. Then just read this just to get like a different part of like a possibility. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And you know what's really cool about this is this storyline influenced the backstory that you see in Celestial Quest because she also, I believe, is in Connecticut when she's raising Koi. So all of that is influenced and uh, close because this took place or this was written about 10 years before Celestial Quest. So uh, it it clearly probably gave it some good influence in there. Yeah. Um. Did, did this make sense to you guys? Do you want me to... Com- Explain any other confusing storylines? Please let us know. Yeah. Uh, use hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can tweet to at Lorraine Singh and at Agent M. You can email twinpodcast at marvel.com. And of course, hit up our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel uh, with all your requests and your questions and your comments and all that good stuff. Wait, Ryan, I want to see. I really, truly want to see if I can like make this the shortest version of this story humanly possible. Go. Okay. Mantis joins the Avengers. Her boyfriend dies. A psychic tree takes over his body, says, you have to marry me to become the celestial Madonna and bring forth a messiah between the Kotati people and the humans. They go to space. They make a baby. She raises the baby for a couple years. Then she drops him off with the Kotati. They raise him. He becomes a super jerky teenage jerk boy. 
Uh, Thanos, this doppelganger of Thanos, comes to kill the Messiah to impress his girlfriend, Death. They go off into space. Everybody fights it out. Eventually, Thanos is conquered by his own kid. Everyone disperses. And uh, now Sequoia, a.k.a. Koi, a.k.a. the Celestial Messiah, the Child of Mantis, and the Kotati Elder, he goes off into space with his girlfriend, a sexy lizard pirate lady. Yeah, that was great. And they want to heal the world. That is the Celestial Messiah saga in 60 seconds. There you go. You're welcome. And now you just listen to like 45 minutes of that so you can hear yeah. it uh, Fantastic. <laughs> of course, this episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Percy Verlin and Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to the Kotati Plant Shop. Bury a body here and we'll psychically reanimate its corpse for free. This is all very normal. Thank you. Good day. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Thank you.